Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. With 80% of the population here in Newfoundland and Labrador vaccinated and travel resuming, many of us are feeling a sense of normality start in after nearly a year and a half of daily updates, lockdowns, and public health restrictions. Here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we were fortunate enough to miss the brunt of the pandemic. Yes, we had lockdowns and outbreaks, but compared to some of our Canadian neighbors, we dodged a bullet. We were fortunate to have an island geography, trust in public health in our leadership, and a sense of community that we all had to do our part. I remember my first episode of the show was actually on this strange new virus that was emerging around the world. I'd like to think that this is my last show on the topic as we're all getting vaccinated and slowly returning to normal. However, before we close the book on the pandemic, I wanted to highlight the efforts of our medical experts here in the province who answered a call for help from Ontario as they got hit with their third wave. With daily totals of COVID-19 infections nearing 5,000 a day in April and doctors and nurses entering their 15th month of fighting the pandemic, Premier Doug Ford of Ontario and the Canadian Medical Association put out a call for help. Like a good neighbour, our province responded, sending a small but mighty medical team consisting of three physicians and four nurses to help the hardest hit areas of Ontario. Two of those doctors, Dr. Art Rideout and Dr. Allison Fury, join me today to talk about their experiences and what they saw on the front lines of the pandemic. They shared stories of their patients, the challenges the medical system faced when overrun with cases, and what they learned and were able to bring back to our province in case we ever encountered the same situation. As Premier Fury said, Ontario is on fire and we are sending firefighters. Well, let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Rideout and Dr. Fury and learn why they and the other team members felt it was so important to help. Hi, Dr. Rideout. Hi, Dr. Fury. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Mike. Guys, it's great to have you here. I really wanted to talk about your recent experience because you guys had gone to a sort of epicenter for COVID-19. But before we get into the sort of story we're, we're interviewing about today, can we talk a little bit about your backgrounds and path in medicine? Maybe we'll start with you, Dr. Rideout. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so I'm Art Rideout. I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgeon at the uh, Janeway and uh, Health Sciences in St. Clair's uh, Hospitals, Eastern Health, if you will. And I do a lot of reconstructive surgery. And yeah, I've been at it for uh, over 20 years now here at St. John's. Excellent. And, and yourself, Dr. Fury? I work in the uh, in the Janeway Emergency Department, and the bulk of my career has been there. I've worked as a family physician with my own clinic just after I graduated, and I've spent some time in the health science and St. Clair's adult emergency rooms, and a little bit of walk-in clinics and some uh, outpatient COVID clinics during the pandemic, and have my hand in in a bunch of pots. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, well, tell me about your guys' recent trip. You, you guys went to Ontario to help out with the COVID-19 pandemic response there. Why did you feel it was important to go? Well, I didn't think very hard about whether or not I would put my name forward to go on this trip. You know, medicine is, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a calling, I think, for people in terms of committing yourself to 
to health and wellness in your community and to helping other people when they're at their most vulnerable. And as many people know, been involved in the past with plenty of trips with Team Broken Earth for medical relief in the third world. And when the ask came from Ontario, because they were in need in our own country, it was an opportunity that I didn't want to pass up. Dr. Rideout, you were also involved in Team Broken Earth. You've traveled around to assist with people that are in need. Why did, why did you put your name forward for this? Well, I, you know, to follow Allison's point, I think it's something that uh, we're lucky to be able to choose and be able to do. And we had a history. It's, it's one of those, uh, you know, 10,000 hours tipping point thing where, you know, had a backpack to go wherever. Uh, and in this time, the call came from within uh, our own country. So the idea of Canadians helping Canadians, uh, Newfoundlanders helping out on t- Ontario, uh, that, that resonated. It's, it, was, it was a great opportunity. And again, there's any anything that can come from chaos is an opportunity, and we were able to we were able to to do what we can, and and part of that too is we had the infrastructure of you know we have a list of volunteers uh, that that are in that mindset that would be open to going and helping out uh, somebody wherever they might be, whether it's a, a earthquake in Haiti or COVID in Ontario, and so I, I was I was thought of myself uh, lucky, and and within my own family. I think there was not so much an expectation, but there certainly wasn't any surprise uh, that I'd be uh, going up there to do what I can. Mm-hmm. And that, that was part of it is that, you know, I want to contribute. I want to be part of the solution. And if there's a way I can give back there, sure, well, I'll step up for that. One of the things that people may not understand is the situation in other parts of the country is very different than it is here in Newfoundland. Tell me about what the pandemic is like in a place like Ontario, as opposed to here in Newfoundland? Sure. I think you'll get two different perspectives, uh, too, because we are at two different parts of Ontario, Toronto, great GTA. Uh, And uh, I can give you the perspective. I was at the Brampton Civic Hospital, essentially the first two two weeks of May, 10 days. And you'll see a lot of media about that. It's the uh, L6P uh, Brampton Postal Code where uh, they're vulnerable. It's, it's near the airport. A lot of sick people, all families, like whole families would have COVID. And that's mainly because it's an area where uh, grandparents would be living with parents, would be living with children, all in one three-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you were asking, what's it like? I can, I can give you that perspective just on the history. The thing that I realize is that we are very lucky in Newfoundland for a variety of reasons. Uh, a big one is we, we had access to vaccines. They, they did too, but, you know, it wasn't until they made it a hotspot that they could really vaccinate a big percentage of their population. We have other things. We have big spaces. We have people that live in, you know, it's possible to actually isolate within your own house because you get two bathrooms. So it wasn't just one thing. It was it was a lot of little things adding up. And there was a perspective of, yeah, for sure, we're lucky here. We're fortunate. And that filtered a lot of how we felt about COVID. You, you got to know there were whole families that hadn't been out in three months. And, and, you know, we, we had, you know, had a second lockdown. At the same time, you could still go out in the park and get some fresh air. And uh, I can't measure it, but you could see these people after a year. There's physical tolls, but I can tell you the mental health toll of stress and jobs and money and children, homeschooling and, and all those things adding up, that certainly was palpable. 
So, you know, again, here we had kids still going to schools, kids still going to hockey practice. Uh, that was a very lucky thing that I appreciated. Right, right, right. And Dr. Sherry? Yeah, I would say uh, the only thing I would really add to that, because in our hospital, I was at the um, Toronto Western Hospital, which is a, you, you know, serves the downtown area in uh in Toronto. And I think the density of the population there in Toronto just served itself for spread of these variants so much quicker. Um, I mean, we saw that here with Mount Pearl. And, you know, like Art said, we're spread out, relatively speaking, but we're also a small enough population to control it. We can say, it's easier when we're spread out and not living on top of each other in apartment buildings. And we're managing a much smaller group of people, still 500,000 people, but we're spread out amongst a huge landmass. So, and you can isolate one part of the island from another. So I think that that, that is a, a major difference between Newfoundland and the Atlantic provinces, I think as well, in comparison to the big cities across the country. And we have nailed the uh, contact tracing and that part of the public health component of managing this virus. And I think that that is really difficult in a city like Toronto or New York or any of these other big cities where there's been huge outbreaks. So we have been very fortunate that we live in Newfoundland for many, many reasons. And I will echo what Art said, the people that I worked with in our hospital, many of them isolated away from their family for several months and didn't go and see their children or their spouses. I know that the person that coordinated my trip there hadn't seen her parents and they live in Toronto for an entire year. You know, I haven't seen my mom in a year, but she lives 5,000 miles away. So, you know, that's something that you can kind of wrap your head around. But when they're around the corner and you don't see them for a year, it is a, a huge toll. And at the time when we were there, there wasn't really a light at the end of their tunnel. I mean, vaccines were certainly being distributed quicker because they, they had been diverted to these hotspots, of course. But um but for the people and families that we had in the hospital, they were very, very sick and they didn't know if they were going to get better and they didn't know how quickly. I mean, it's a new disease. It's a new virus. We're all learning about it. Every variant brings a different kind of perspective. And a lot of times when we were talking to patients, families, we had to say, we're learning about this too. We don't know. Mm. So... Again, back to your question more so about uh, the differences between here and there. I realized quite quickly how lucky, you know, our family is in terms of being in school, being able to, even if it was only 20 people, we could still see 20 people mm -hmm. um, and, and hockey and choir. I mean, I think that Newfoundland had the only choir that was singing in the world <laughs> for for during this pandemic. So we have, in many ways, been living a new normal life. We're talking with Dr. Allison Fury and Dr. Art Rideout about their experience in providing medical relief for doctors battered by the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in Ontario earlier this year. They're sharing why they felt they needed to help, what they saw and what knowledge they were able to bring back home with them. We'll be right back after this break.
Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Allison Fury and Dr. Art Rideout about their experience in providing medical relief for doctors battered by the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in Ontario earlier this year. They're sharing why they felt they needed to help, what they saw and what knowledge they were able to bring back home with them. Let's get back to the interview. I think another thing that people haven't uh, been able to see here as much as maybe a place like Ontario is what does COVID-19 look like when somebody gets sick? And I know there's variants and there's different ways that people present, but on a relatively severe case or a case that's hospitalized, how does somebody present and what's their experience like? Uh, I'll, if it's okay with Allison, I'll, I'll kind of lead into it because out in Brampton, we saw the whole spectrum. Uh, that is people being admitted that were walking, might've had a pneumonia and they were COVID positive, but might just have a fever. And then I was fortunate to work in eMERGE, ICU, and even the vaccine uh, vaccination clinics. And so that what I saw was at the time, in you know, retrospect, we were seeing 20 admissions uh, for COVID to the hospital and tw about 20 transfers. Not all of them were going to level, you know, ICU units. Some were going to other hospitals because of capacity. So uh, COVID looks like the health sciences where there's only COVID patients. And, and so all the regular surgeries, all the hip surgeries, all the heart surgeries, all that stuff is shut down. And in Brampton, there's kids, they have a pediatric unit, uh, but more sick ones would go downtown to sick kids. And any of the intubated ones uh, would also, uh, uh, adults might be transferred to another ICU, again, because of capacity. And so COVID looks, sometimes it's just a fever, but the ones that I would see uh, that were being admitted were sick. And the common denominator to all of them was that they were not vaccinated. And, and even if the ones that were vaccinated, like if they had a first dose, they were just vaccinated. So the, the theory being is that they probably had COVID three days before they got their vaccine and they had mounted enough immune response, but still they were, they were not being admitted as such. They were just presenting to emerge because they're feverish and they said, okay, we all coughing, what's going on? And so just walking through that process, some patients were able to be managed at home, some had to be admitted. The ones that had to be admitted generally had respiratory issues. Their saturations were decreasing even on five liters of oxygen. They had a great algorithm because they were forced into, after 16 months of, of constant COVID management, they had a real nice algorithm of, okay, who goes to this OptiFlow floor, which is basically high flow oxygen, but breathing on their own, and then who has to transition to the ICU, and then who gets transferred out. So within that spectrum, you know, people, the, the suddenness of it was, was really remarkable to me. They could drop like a stone. And then once the ICU patients were all very ill, I'll let Allison talk about the particulars of ICU patients in terms of long-term management, but they're just difficult to ventilate. You know, there's this challenge, oxygen levels going up, trying to, you know, increase their pressure. And if they had any comorbid factors, that was also an issue. And I, I can't, I'm not an expert on COVID. I can't speak to the details. I, I can just tell you that if they had a cardiac event before or diabetes or a chronic disease, or if they were immune suppressed because of cancer treatment, these were all risk factors that made their disease process worse. So that, that's what I saw in Brampton, that, that spectrum. And I know Allison saw a much more severe case of it because of the, the referral type. There was challenges with that too. Yeah, our unit sounds rather similar to that, Art. 
just before I got there, there had been an outbreak in the hospital. So there was a floor that had some patients that were on it that were admitted to the hospital COVID-free, but then picked it up while they were in hospital. So many of them were already sick. Some of them had been in the hospital for a long time waiting for placement and had been vaccinated. And the only reason they were sent over to our floor was because they were COVID positive. They were not unwell. So I will echo as well to Art, generally speaking, while we were there, if you had been vaccinated or fully vaccinated, the disease looked pretty much either non-existent with a COVID positive test or a little bit of a cough, you know, and a runny nose, that kind of a thing. But for the most part, our patients, the sick ones, had developed symptoms a certain way through their course. They, Many of them knew they were positive for several days before coming to the hospital, but then became increasingly short of breath and came in and were, had to be admitted. And they deteriorated pretty quickly, requiring lots of oxygen and had to be on our floor being monitored by us and by ICU and trying to determine if, when, and where they were going to go if they continued to deteriorate. So we had pretty sick patients on our floor, which under normal circumstances would have likely been in the ICU, but there was just no capacity in the ICU for people who could breathe on their own. So if we could keep them breathing on their own with with high flow oxygen, we did. And there were people on the highest levels of oxygen I've ever seen or heard of in my experience of that. So one thing that that I will say, and you know, we had about 20 three people on our team, you know, that were admitted under our, under our service. And there were three team of about 20 patients while I was there that had been admitted to that hospital with COVID. We saw a very, very slow improvement in their oxygen requirements. You know, I was working there for a full 10 days and I saw one person get discharged in that 10 days from that process. So they were, it was slow. Fortunately, there's some, some medication that we can give and supportive management, you know, like we said, oxygen is basically the treatment for it and kind of keeping on top of it. We sent a lot to ICU as well. So. Well, one of the things that would be interesting and kind of scary to see what comes out of it will be the long-term effects of, of the condition due to its, uh, the fact that it's respiratory and that it's inflammatory in nature as well. So were there any specific situations that, that stood out to you? I know that Dr. Ryder, you said that comorbidities was, was an aspect or not being vaccinated. Were there any specific circumstances that really stood out to you that were unique or were like, wow, this is something that's I've never seen before? So I think it was the adaptation to, uh, right now I'm thinking of the, the patient uh, that was in, uh, in the unit and, and, uh, was alone, uh, except for the staff. So family members are not allowed to visit, C- trying to communicate through an iPad. Uh, and the, you know, trying to explain to them uh, of the situation. And they're, they're, try- they're trying to visualize their, their loved one uh, intubated, ventilated with, you know, all the machinery around and, and just scared and just want to be able to, to comfort their loved one. And it, it's, 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 it's impossible to do that through an iPad. And so watching that, watching that happen, it, it, usually in a situation where there would be family members with people, that, that uh, stress and mental toll was something that stuck with me. And that's everywhere. 
you know, with every patient who couldn't have a visitor because they might have some sort of variant. And it was, you know, you, you can understand the isolation. Everybody understands that. But it's also that uh, disconnect where in those times of need, you know, comfort can go a long way to making somebody feel better. And that, that you know, coming from a family member, the impact is just greater. So that, that was something that I really, it really stuck with me. That's interesting. One of my best friends was on the show for the first episode of the year. He got diagnosed with glioblastoma and needed emergency brain surgery the day the hospital shut down and had to go through it all by himself. And he shared that exact same experience and how it was so terrifying and lonely for people. So yes, I, I can understand that hearing it from him. Dr. Fury? Yeah, I found with most of my patients, language was a real barrier. So add being alone to having English be your second or third language. And I think that people who were admitted to the hospital were really scared. And we walk in under masks and shields and and gowns. And it's not the medicine that we're used to practicing. I mean, many times we get to sit and chat with our patients and, you know, you, you, you get to know them a little bit, but you know, when they're on high flow oxygen, you have to limit the amount of time that you're in the room and you're trying to, you're trying to communicate, um, with people who don't have a translator with them. And, uh, so much of our day, once we, got around to see everybody, did our rounds in the mornings. Our afternoons were spent in contact with family members. So I found that to be one of the most rewarding parts of the day was that in those discussions with family members, because most of them had somebody that could communicate in English a little bit better. And those conversations were really enlightening because you could say, oh, you know, for instance, seems very simple, but one of our patients was hungry for the type of food that he would normally eat and hospital food wasn't cutting it for him. So yeah. his brother said, be really great if you could order a certain type of meal. Well, that was on the list of available meals. So the next day he was in there eating away. So, right. you know, these things would have been very easily dealt with and seem very small or very insignificant, yet you have to be nourished in order to heal. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I found getting to know the families and the, the patient situations and this one patient that I am talking about had immigrated from Myanmar and there were three families living in their home. And while he was the only one that it was admitted with COVID, all of his family members at home had COVID. Their children, their parents, their siblings, everybody in that in that household had that virus. So in talking to the families, I was able to give them updates about their brother, but also they had questions about their own health and what it all looked like. So it was um that was a different way to practice than what we're used to, obviously. We're talking with Dr. Allison Fury and Dr. Art Rideout about their experience in providing medical relief for doctors battered by the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in Ontario earlier this year. They're sharing why they felt they needed to help, what they saw and what knowledge they were able to bring back home with them. We'll be right back after this break.
Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Allison Fury and Dr. Art Rideout about their experience in providing medical relief for doctors battered by the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in Ontario earlier this year. They're sharing why they felt they needed to help, what they saw and what knowledge they were able to bring back home with them. Let's get back to the interview. The reason that you both decided to go was also to give relief to the medical teams that were there. And I don't know if everybody truly understands what these physicians and medical staff had to be dealing with over the last year and a half, but what did you see and why was it so important that you went? And I'll send it to you, Dr. Fury. Well, I think that when you look at a, at a team of five or 10 going to a province of millions, it might seem a little bit insignificant, but it isn't very often that you hear physicians in particular say, I need some help. And, you know, that was, that was on social media and that was out there on the news that physicians were stressed. And absolutely, they've been bombarded for 16 months with wave after wave after wave, thinking that they're through their wave and they're done. Well, boom, there's another one. So when I go there and work on on that unit, it means that there's another doctor that has that two weeks off. They were not called into work and, you know, those who were scheduled to do so, you know, were either able to maintain whatever they were doing in their own practice or they were able to take a break. And I think that they took a break because it's an overwhelming place to work because of the reasons that we've talked about before. And the other kind of added side effect of showing up on a unit rested and energized and ready to help was that everybody around was just kind of a little bit uplifted, like, oh, you know, oh, you're here from Newfoundland. And then they, you know, it kind of just sparks different conversation. It's a little bit, it's a little bit of a change. And, you know, there's always a connection with Newfoundland. So you, you know, find somebody who, who knows somebody who knows somebody and there you are best friends. So I think that it was uplifting relief for somebody and cumulatively we were able to provide that and able to do that. And I, I, I think it was beneficial. Definitely was. Dr. Ryder, you want to add anything to that? Uh, exactly what Alston says. It, it, you know, we brought a level of energy and enthusiasm uh, because we had, it was new to us. And so that, I think it did a couple of things. It validated the fact that they were having a tough time. So, you know, there was some national media around it. And it, it kind of highlighted the fact that they were, they've been pushing it for over a year. And when I got there, I, I didn't, it was overwhelming support. They were so happy to see us. And it's, it, it wasn't that we're going to change the world. We're just going to change somebody's world, you know, give somebody some time off. But the seeing the fact that we cared and, and wanted to help that, that spoke, that really resonated with them. And then with that comes, you know, we had to, Subway brought in for the, you know, the hospitals, right? The nurses on the floors. And, and that bit of recognition, uh, it, it doesn't sound like a lot. And it was a lot. It, they, they really love that type of stuff. And, and the other thing that I wanted to point out is that I learned a lot. I have skills that I would not have, well, I would have had to learn here. And I learned it up there to bring back. And so I think it made me uh, a better doctor because I, I learned a lot because they had figured out a lot of the issues of efficiency and how to manage 
sick COVID patients. And, and we just didn't have any here. We were lucky, right? And hopefully we never will. In case we did, well, I, I'm able to help out here now. That's right. And I think that's an important question. I'll, I'll stay with you on this one, Dr. Rideout. For the folks that have said that we should be keeping our medical professionals here during an important time of the pandemic, how would you respond to that? Because it sounds like you gained a skill set and based on what they were dealing with, we're dealing with, uh, was there any risk to the health of people in this province or was there a benefit? I think there's an overall overall benefit. And I say that because, again, we all brought skills back and it was safe. And by that, I mean, we're not safe in Newfoundland until everybody's safe. And so that we saw that with hotspots breaking out, coming back, because a lot of ours are travel related. So until all of Canada is safe, you know, we're at risk. And so us going up there and helping them, I think that was uh, important. There was also the caveat if things started to go south, we could come back and, and help. At the same time, I've done different trips over the years on my own time to go away. And there are already people, there's already infrastructure here to take over for me. And thankfully, I have, I'm able to do that because of the colleagues and people that work around me that, you know, say, you know, go up and help. So th those things are, 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 were important to me. And I say overall, it's a benefit. We're, we're Canadians. We're just, you know, if, if your neighbor asks you for help, you're going to, you should go help. If you can, you should go help. Because if their house is burning, it won't be long before your house is burning. And so helping them, it, it's a good thing. And I'll add one last thing. I vaccinated a guy in Brampton that grew up in uh, Placentia Bay. There are a lot of Newfoundlanders in the GTA area. So if you think it's only Toronto people and not Newfoundlanders, you are mistaken. I was taking care of Newfoundlanders in the GTA. That's right. We are everywhere all over the world. And like you said, we're always connected. Thank you for that. So I think that's really important to set the stage of what you saw and what the experience was like and what we were able to avoid here by having such amazing participation in our public health. And But let's talk about the wellness side because Dr. Ryder, you you hit on that earlier about comorbidities, things like diabetes and heart disease and metabolic diseases making conditions worse. Dr. Fury, did you see the same thing? And what's your view on people's health status before they get exposed to something like COVID? And what, what should that be telling us about taking care of ourselves? Well, I think it's not necessarily unique to COVID. I think that there are many diseases that if you have a lot of comorbidities that you're more susceptible to and you don't recover from as easily. So um, somebody's uh, pre-disease condition or health condition is obviously important in determining how well and how will you do when you contract COVID-19? What I saw in, in Ontario, most of the sickest people had diabetes, were overweight, and had neurological disorders or something else that was confounding. I will add that we saw several young people that didn't have any comorbidities and were very unwell. And I don't know how that's explained, but I think COVID is a little bit sneaky there. But I do believe, and in my own life, and I think in many of our lives, staying healthy or staying well keeps us healthy, both mentally and physically, and puts us in a better mindset in case we do get sick. Dr. Rideout, when you see the health status of our province, seeing that we have some of the highest rates of preventable diseases or things like diabetes or heart disease and hypertension. What do you see as a message that comes out of this? Do you think people will recognize that they are more vulnerable if they have these conditions that may not seem life-threatening at the time, but may put them at a greater risk for consequences of their health? 
you know, whether it's COVID, uh, again, I deal a lot with surgery, so wound healing, your starting point really has big play in the success of the outcome. And so, you know, I look at COVID as being able to generate an immune response. And so that you know, whether you get the vaccine, you get your immune response, you know, other conditions that can that impair your immune response, that's going to make you more vulnerable. It'll be the tipping point. And so if you can keep your health, good health, good nutrition, good mental health, less stress, and try to keep yourself well, and then prepare for that moment that you get sick, I think you'll have a better chance. As Allison says, uh, the, there are some that just, just gut it. Now, is that genetics? Is that an immune response thing? I, I, I don't know. Having said that, getting vaccinated addresses that issue. And so that uh, I think that's that's probably, for me, the, the success. If everybody gets vaccinated, we'll be okay for this particular one. We're talking with Dr. Allison Fury and Dr. Art Rideout about their experience in providing medical relief for doctors battered by the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in Ontario earlier this year. They're sharing why they felt they needed to help, what they saw and what knowledge they were able to bring back home with them. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Allison Fury and Dr. Art Rideout about their experience in providing medical relief for doctors battered by the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in Ontario earlier this year. They're sharing why they felt they needed to help, what they saw and what knowledge they were able to bring back home with them. Let's get back to the interview. Dr. Wright, you just said it, you talked about vaccination being one of the main, if not the best defense for people. There's still a lot of vaccine hesitancy. We get questions to the show, but all the time we did an episode on vaccine hesitancy. But Dr. Fury, what are you telling people about getting vaccinated? You know, I'm not an expert on vaccines. However, I think if we are following this virus and the epidemiology of this virus across the country and across the world and, you know, our neighbors to the south, we are seeing dramatic decreases in case numbers as well as hospitalizations and deaths with the increased uptake of vaccines. So we can't deny that. That's that's that is real time data that we're that we're watching happening. So my personal uh, opinion and what I would advise my patients based on the reading that I've done about the vaccines with COVID-19 is that it is our best defense right now for keeping people as healthy as we can in our communities. It's our key to being able to resume a normal life. Whatever our new normal is going to look like, we can't reach that without a significant number of people in our population being vaccinated. So, you know, we take risks every day in our life, in our lives. When we get in our car, there's a risk. When we get on an airplane, there's a risk. When we go out for a run, there's a risk. I think if we weigh the risks and the benefits here, vaccines have a significantly higher benefit than than risk. Well, that's what came up in our conversation was that, you know, we have a risk of blood clot of one in four with uh, COVID-19 when we were talking about AstraZeneca before about the risk and it was one in 200,000 people. Meanwhile, birth control medication, which people don't hesitate to take is about one in a hundred. So it is about putting things in perspective and looking at whether the risk is COVID-19 
pain or a potentially extremely rare side effect that people haven't been able to quantify to date in literally hundreds of millions of people around the world that have gotten vaccines. So yes, that's yeah. the kind of message that we got from our, our, our immunologists as well. Dr. Rideout, your view on that as well? I think vaccines are a good thing. and That's why I'm vaccinated. And I think it, it, there are other layers to it. You know, I respect the fact that somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated. They, they also need to be uh, accept the responsibility that they might infect somebody else, a child, a loved one, a grandparent, and they need to be okay with that. And if they do get sick, they, they need to be okay with the idea that they may, they may get admitted to hospital and take up the resource. I think I led with, you know, the whole hospital in Brampton was shut down, no cardiac surgery, no hip surgery, because the hospital was full of COVID patients. And so, you know, if you're going to, the COVID patient gets admitted to the ICU and then there's somebody next door that needs heart surgery, well, that, that can be an issue because we have, we have, it's a resource issue too, right? It, it, there's practical things. You can talk about travel. I, I, whether it's yellow fever vaccine or hepatitis or whatever, I think that is our best defense at a disease that not just can kill you, but can also make you very sick. And you know, you talked about what are the long-term effects of an inflammatory lung disease. We won't know, uh, but uh, there's going to be something. There's going to mm-hmm. be something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're hearing more and more stories of recovery. One came out of Montreal, a young fellow. He's still on home oxygen, right? Uh, six right. months later. And right. so this this has a big impact uh, on your family. You'd get your dog vaccinated. Why wouldn't you get yourself vaccinated? <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, and I'd be remiss if I had two experts like yourselves on. Both of you, I know, are both very active people. We have a wellness show here, and hopefully we are going to get to a great place where we can look back at the years of the pandemic and move on to our new normal going forward. But going forward now, we have an opportunity to make health a priority. It's top of mind for all of us. What advice do you guys have for people when it comes to improving their health, getting fitter, or making themselves more resistant against could possibly be next or could be down the line for them in their life? Well, I think it goes without saying really that the healthier we are and the more that we take our own health seriously and practice preventative health measures, you know, our own personal outcomes will be better in the long run. It's just like with anything, it's it's easy to gain 10 pounds and it's really hard to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, years and years and years of developing diabetes to reverse that is so much harder. So I try to promote health and prevention as much as I can. And this is no different. If you're in a better state mentally and you're in a better state physically, then your risk for many for many things is reduced. Great point about the mental health too. I think a lot of us might've known we couldn't run five kilometers, but we might not have known how much resilience we had mentally. And this has been trying for a lot of people and very challenging for mo- many folks when it came to their mental health. So thank you for bringing that point up. Dr. Rideau. I think they go, it goes hand in hand. You know, last year, everybody got a taste of it. Uh, we had a great summer. We were in lockdown uh, and then got out and couldn't buy a bicycle. You know, and it was kind of going back to the times of at least when I grew up, where you know you had to get the get the stink of the house off you. And so people got a taste of that. They went out for hikes. You couldn't go on the East Coast Trail without running into somebody you knew. And I, I think it was wonderful. I think people were out. They got new puppies. They went out, took their dogs for a walk. They went for a walk. The kids were outside again. 
I know there's a lot of screen time, but I, and I think the two go hand in hand. I think if you're going out for a walk and getting some fresh air, your mental health is better too. You're yeah. reflecting, you're thinking about the day and figuring out how lucky we are, right? So yeah, I think any form of, of physical activity, but just you know, kind of looking at ourselves and making sure that we get ourselves the best we can be, it's a good thing. I'm gonna do an aside, this is, this is coming from me and, and you guys know me, you know all this. I actually, I just submitted this as an assignment I had to do for a course. And the article is, at some point last year, there were more cases of COVID in the White House than in Newfoundland. <laughs> That's true. That was CBC. It was run by CBC. I can send you the whole references. And it, the, the, the reason that was, in my opinion, and I know you know where this is going, but it was by the, it, the, the, the assignment was on leadership. And so, you know, I won't talk about the leadership at the White House, but I will say the leadership here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin the point on you so that you can, you know, get it, is that there is nowhere else, and this was my point, nowhere else in the world, as far as I know, you can check, fact check it, I looked that up, where the premier, or whatever you want to call, of the province is a, a physician, that the minister of health is a physician, and the chief medical officer is a physician. And what that came with that leadership was a trust in everybody stayed home. That was another difference with Ontario. They stayed home. They did not what they were told, but they were, it was a collective. They understood that it was coming from a place that was an expert. And so I think that'll follow with the vaccines. That's why our vaccine rate is up. And, and you'll all also notice that there's always going to be somebody who doesn't want to get vaccinated. I get that. But I bet you in the long run, our numbers will outnumber the rest of Canada. And we're outnumbering the rest of the world as yeah. a country. So it's a, it's a good testament to it all. I agree with that 100%. And I will also tell you that our leadership was more than happy to come on and take time to educate the population. They were all on my show at different times talking about it, which was really important. And I, I, I love that because it allowed me to be able to help people more, which is the point of this show, which is why I want to thank you both so much for coming today and also for sharing your story. And also thanks to the rest of the medical teams, including doctors and nurses that went to Ontario to help out during this important time with our neighbors. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks Mike. for having us, Mike. You have a great day. Thank you to my guests, Dr. Rideout and Dr. Fury for taking the time to share their experience in Ontario with us today. It's a strong reminder of what our neighbors have gone through as we emerge from a very strange time in all of our lives. I hope that this is the last time we talk about the pandemic on the show, but I couldn't think of a more fitting way to end the topic and that is us talking about what we do best as Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, and that is looking out for one another. Join me next week as we talk with trail runner Dan Meads and physiotherapist Killian Harnett about everything we need to know about getting into running and avoiding injuries on the trails. Well, that's our episode this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall, reminding you to stay up to date on everything with our show on our Instagram and Facebook pages. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.